the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. God has been calling the nation of Israel to love Him supremely. Moses, through several speeches, has listed out how God would bless the nation if they humbly obeyed the laws and statutes given them. They were to be a unique people, wholly devoted to God in everything they did. God desired them to walk close with Him and to not forget their covenant when they entered the Promised Land. Moses' last act as leader of the Israelites was to bring up Joshua and to teach a song to the Israelites. This song would remind the people of all that God did for them in times past and how he would deal with them should they turn away from their God. We join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 15. You know, the whole theme of Deuteronomy is loving God supremely. Moses has been teaching the nation of Israel about what it means to love God supremely. But now Moses' final task from God was to teach Israel a song to remind them not to stray from God and how to fix things if they did. Him and Joshua would have teach this song to them over and over and over again until they could sing it on their own so that after he was gone, this would be something they would pass on to their own children and their children's children so that Israel would know this song in such a way that it would always serve as this reminder, this warning and this education of not to go astray and what to do to fix it if they did. Now, the song, as we saw two weeks ago, it started by recalling Israel's special relationship with God. In verse 7, the song says, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. You'll ask your father, and he will show you the elders, and they will tell you when the Most High divided the nations. I mean, all these things that God had done for them, how they were his inheritance, and how mind-blowing that is that God would consider his people his inheritance. So the song started by recalling Israel's special relationship with God and how he had brought them this far. Well, tonight we're going to get into the warning elements of the song, what Israel must guard against and what to do when they end up experiencing God's judgment because they don't guard against it. And while we aren't Israel, this you know, isn't our song, may this part of the song, though, challenge us to never grow proud, but to always stay close to the Lord. So chapter 32, beginning in verse 15. After the Lord says, I, he made him, verse 13, to ride in the high places, Israel, of the earth, that he might eat the increase of the fields, and he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, butter of kine and milk of sheep, with fat of lambs, rams of the breed of Bashan and goats, with the fat of kidneys of wheat. That sounds just yummy, doesn't it? And you did drink the pure blood, the juice of the grape. I mean, these were the blessings of the promised land that God was giving to them. But then in verse 15, we see the tone change. He says, but... Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. 
Now, Jeshurun is a nickname for Israel. It means the righteous or those who are on the right path. So Israel had been there. They had been on the right path. God had brought them into the land. He's not done this yet, but the song is thinking forward in faith that God would do this. So bringing them into the land, blessing them with all the wonderful blessings of the promised land. But in the midst of all those blessings, the righteous, those who are on the right path, they kicked. The word they're kicked, it means to despise something and stubbornly kick against it. Now, why did they do that? Well, it explains. Well, you are waxen fat. You are grown thick. You are covered with fatness. And the idea here is we tend to look at fat as not a good thing in our culture. But back then, if you were on the plump side, it meant you were healthy. And so it was considered a good thing. For example, if you ever look at some of the old Roman figurines, the statues and stuff, they do not look like the models you'll find on magazines these days or in TV shows, okay? Uh, it's just not how it was viewed back then. If you, if you were a woman and you were a little plump, then that meant you were a good cook and you were a good wife, just how it was. So back then, this idea of being fat was considered a place of health, a place of prosperity. I'm not saying that that's being fat is a good thing. It's probably not healthy, especially the way we do our food in this culture. But the idea is in that culture, it did mean a healthy, prosperous state, And so in this healthy, prosperous state, things are going well. They kicked, they began to despise something and stubbornly say, I don't, leave me alone. Stop pestering me. Well, who did they say that to? Verse 15 says, then he forsook God, which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. So here again, we see elements of the rock song here. Many references to God as the rock. So in other words, after kicking you know, for a while, saying, God, get off my case, God, I'm doing fine on my own, eventually they abandoned the Lord, seeing no value in their relationship with the one who rescued them from the desert wasteland of howling that we saw here in verse 10. How God had, like an eagle, stirs up her nest, how God had covered them with his wings and how he had carried them along to the promised land. They despised that relationship and instead they turned to idols. Why do they need to heed this warning? Because there is a danger that we become self-confident. Anybody here have like one thing that like you just kind of struggle with sometimes, whether it's your temper or maybe it is food or maybe it's lust or maybe it's complaining or whatever it might be. Anybody here have something like that? Yeah, I didn't have to raise your hand, but I'll, I'll speak to all of you later. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. My hand's up there too. I've got multiple things. It's not just one. But you know what I found the most debilitating thing I face? That self-confidence. When things are going well, all of a sudden, I just put on the cruise control, and I'm just like, all right, we're good. And for some insane reason, I stop seeking the Lord. I stop being desperate. Self-confidence. Things are good. I've got this covered. I've got the rounds. I know what I need to do. I know how to get the job done. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself in the middle of kind of kicking at God because he's dealing with you. And he's saying, hey, you need to draw close to me. And you're like, come on, Lord. I mean, I'm I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And eventually, if we don't respond to the Lord, we end up turning to something else for that which only he can fulfill, idolatry. See, they forgot because they became self-confident. And what that resulted in was turning from God to idols. Verse 16 says, they provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God. 
to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. The idea is they didn't worship them. Now, what's interesting here is the reference to sacrificing unto devils. I don't think they sacrificed to literal devils. Like, I don't think they said, oh, here's Satan himself. I'm going to go worship Satan. A lot of us, we think of idolatry and we think the most wicked type of thing you can think of, sacrificing a child on the altar or giving food to some little tiki god or something. But what's interesting is while pagan deities don't exist, fallen angels do. And on numerous occasions in Scripture, the Bible seems to imply that behind these pagan deities, these idols, there are real entities. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, when Paul's dealing with the issue in Corinth of whether you should eat food to idols or not, he makes this statement. He says, but I say, and this is 1 Corinthians 10, 20, if you're taking notes, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. It's interesting, those who rebelled against God in the angelic community, they followed their leader, Lucifer. Now, Lucifer, we know what his motive was. It says very clearly that he wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshiped. So is it any wonder that his followers, those who are with him, the fallen angels, that they would dress themselves as deities and garner worshipers? It makes perfect sense to me. Following the father of lies, they whisper to men, oh, I can help you with your crops if you just worship me. Or I can bring you pleasure if you just worship me. And it's no different today. We don't necessarily hear the whisper, you know, of the forked guy on our shoulder going, oh, no, 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 just do this and you'll be happy. But there's the pull, the lure, where we think to ourselves, I should read my Bible, but I'd rather do this. And the pull and the lure of doing that is the subtlety of our enemy. Maybe you don't, but I know my struggle is that I see the little carrot out there and I'm like, ooh, yum, and I start nipping at it. And of course, what's he doing? He's yanking it up and yanking it up and yanking it up and I keep nipping at it. And all the while, the Lord's going, don't chase the carrot. There is no carrot. But I'm going, no, 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 I'm not chasing the carrot, Lord. You know, I'm just just enjoying myself for a little bit, or I'm just, you know, taking a break. I'll get to the word, or I'll, I'll get to prayer. I'll get to serving others. I'll get to leading my family. I'll get to sharing my faith. And by listening to these lies and following these other gods, Israel acts very foolishly. Because the reality is, like I said, the carrot's not really there. Those demons, they can't follow through on their promises. Only the rock can do that. It says that they forsook, they lightly esteemed the rock of their salvation. And then it mentions here, they, did, they followed these gods that their fathers didn't know, never worshipped. It says in verse 18, of the rock that begot thee, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed you. It's interesting, the word forgotten there, it doesn't mean that you don't remember him. It means to neglect, to not pay attention to, to not give your time and your energy to. Why would a person give their time and energy to a demon when the Lord birthed them? Through neglect. It's not like all of a sudden, and I realize that some of us may have gone through experiences that we become angry at God. I get that, I get that that happens. That's not what Moses is dealing with here. The idea is that we begin to neglect the Lord so much 
that he's no longer a priority to us. We, don't lo- we no longer love him. He's just part of our lives rather than the king of our lives. It's through neglect that we would give our time and energy to worship instigated by a demon or committing our lives to something unholy when it's the Lord who birthed us. See, over time, it's easy to neglect the Lord. But here's the kicker. When I neglect my relationship with God, I I simply can't go around empty. We're not wired that way. We don't function that way. I am designed to worship. I remember I was explaining to one of my coworkers at one point in time, and he was an interesting cat. His nickname was Sin. And, and, you know, he would always constantly go, I don't, I don't serve anybody, I serve myself. And I explained to him, you know, that's, that's wonderful to say. I mean, we hear people say things like that all the time. I don't worship anything, you know, I just serve, I, I serve me. I do what I want, nobody controls me. And you just kind of want to chuckle and you're like, yeah, as you nibble at the carrot on the string. We are made to worship. We're wired to give our lives to something. Now, you can say you worship yourself or you serve yourself or whatever, that's, that's how you work it. But have you ever noticed how our body works? Like, if you decide, I I need to fast or I need to pray, it's like your body all gung-ho about that. You know, if you need to sacrifice some time to do something, there's a part of you inside that goes, no, I need to do this. Is your body all warmed up to that idea? Like, you're like, oh, man, I got to go help somebody out. I got to go help moving. They need somebody to help moving. They don't have a lot of people to help them move. I need to go help them move. Like, is your body going, woohoo, yeah, let's do this? No. Your body's going, why would you go do that? And of course, you're like, well, that's my friend, and they need help. And that overrules it. But it's not on your side. So when people say they worship themselves, they're worshiping this thing. They they just become a slave to their flesh. They're not worshiping themselves. They're not serving themselves. They're in bondage to something else. We were made to worship. We can't go around empty. So if you don't worship the Lord, you're going to seek to fill that void with something else, whether it's a job, a relationship, a hobby, a cause, or your flesh. And when I decide to spend my life on something that isn't real, when God is real, well, that's a grievous wrong. And that angers the Lord. In verse 19, it says, and when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them. And the word there means to reject because something has no value. The Lord abhorred them. Now, if you notice, you have a King James Bible, the word them there is in italics, which means it's not in the original language. There is no them in the original Hebrew. It's not that God saw his people as having no value. He saw their idolatrous way of life as having no value and therefore worthy of doing something about it. He saw their idolatry and he saw that as having no value. He rejected that way of life because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. God says, I'm gonna do something about that. And he starts by removing his favor. So let's see if that gets them to turn around. Verse 20, and he said, I will hide my face from them and I will see what their end shall be. For they are a very froward, which means perverse, crooked, twisted, always going on the wrong paths, generation. Children in whom is no faith or literally no faithfulness, no reliability. Even though God will have to take drastic measures to get Israel's attention, he starts here. He starts just by removing his favor, by removing his hand of blessing. Aren't you glad that God starts there? You know when you're you're somewhere you're not supposed to be because you begin to experience that conviction of the Lord, right? 
But if you don't respond to that conviction of the Lord, what does God do? Well, he begins to give you the feeling that things aren't right, (laughs) right? He begins to give you that awareness that things are not okay. And so you go around and you're trying to keep things okay, but the Lord's going, things aren't okay. And he removes that understanding. He removes that hand of blessing or that favor so that it gets our attention. Aren't you glad that he gives you the opportunity to repent before he actually brings consequences? I know I am. (laughs) Now, if that doesn't work, then the Lord will begin to prosper other nations around Israel to get their attention. He goes, okay, I won't just remove my hand of blessing. I'll put it on someone else. Verse 21, he says, they have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities, their idols. So I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. It's interesting. The Lord says he's moved to jealousy. The word there means to be angry because you desire exclusivity in a relationship. God desires exclusivity in our relationship with him. He doesn't want to share. I don't blame him. Why would he want to share with someone who means harm towards us? Someone who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. Would you want to share with that? I wouldn't want to share my loved ones with someone who had that intent toward them. So God doesn't want to either. He wants us all to himself. And so he is angry. He is moved to jealousy by their idols. And so he says, I'll move them to jealousy with those which are not a people I'll provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. The idea here means those who are not God's covenant people, those who do not have God's word. For a fire, verse 22, is kindled in my anger and it shall burn under the lowest hell. In other words, there is no escape from my judgment. And it shall consume the earth with their increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. The Lord says, I will remove my hand of blessing. I will put it on someone else. And so you will begin to experience defeat at their hands. Now here they are. Remember, the Lord has told them through, through Moses, he says, be of a good courage, be strong, go in and take the land. Nobody can stand against you. You're my people. I'm at the head of your army. You can't lose. That's God's promise. So now all of a sudden, Israel's not experiencing God's blessing. Now it's on their enemies and their enemies are defeating them in battle. There's only one way that they could be defeated in battle. And it's if God is not with them. So this is supposed to bring that awareness to them that there's nowhere you can run. There's nowhere you can hide. I'm trying to get your attention. Now, if that doesn't work, then the Lord will turn up the heat even more. Verse 23 I will heap or add to or increase mischiefs upon them. It means calamities, just bad things will keep happening. I will spend my arrows upon them. It means I'm going to empty the quiver. If, if I can't get their attention through removing my favor, if I can't get their attention through putting it on someone else, he says, then I will have to hold nothing back. I will have to empty my quiver. And thus begins now a long line of horrible judgments that God will bring upon the nation. Verse 24, they shall be burnt with hunger. They shall be devoured with burning heat and with bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with the poisons of serpents of the dust. It'll be the sword without and terror within. It shall destroy both the young man and the virgin, the suckling also with the man of gray hairs. Now, at this point, you would say, well, that sounds like the end, right? I mean, God's got to be done with them, but not entirely. Even in this, the Lord is merciful, but not for the reason we might think. Verse 26, he says, I said, 
I would scatter them into corners. I would make the remembrance of them to cease among men. He says, I told Israel I'd wipe them out. But the Lord says, I won't. And here's why. Verse 27. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely, and lest they should say, our hand is high, and the Lord has not done all of this. Powerful. God isn't afraid of anybody. The Lord says, were it not that I feared? I mean, God doesn't have fear of anybody. But the point here is that God's not afraid of people, but he was concerned that wiping out Israel would create an arrogance and a scorn for him among the pagans that he used to judge Israel. Why? Because they don't have his word. They are ignorant of truth. In verse 28, for they are a nation void of counsel. Neither is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. For how should one chase a thousand and two put thousand to flight except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up? The Lord says, I would wipe Israel out. He goes, but it would make all the other nations proud, thinking that it was by their superior force they defeated them. And then they wouldn't turn to me. And they wouldn't because they're devoid of counsel. There's no understanding in them. They don't have my word. I set my people up as that. He says, oh, I wish that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. Oh, that they would consider that they're headed for judgment too, is what the Lord says. For he says, do you think they got victory because they were stronger? No, he says, how could one chase a thousand or two put 10,000 to flight except I had sold them? The only reason they have victory is because I allowed them to have victory. The only reason that my people are defeated is because I am judging them. And the Lord has shut them up. See, the only way that Israel could lose to other nations is if God wasn't with them. So the pagans that God used to judge Israel should have realized this and should have humbled themselves before God. But because they also worshiped idols themselves, they did not. Verse 31, for their rock is not as our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. Pagan nations, they lived for themselves, seeking happiness in the pursuit of their own ways, but never finding it. So just as Israel provoked God to wrath, these pagan nations have also stored up God wrath. And so God must deal with them and rescue his people. Now, why does God make this point? Two or three ideas here. Number one, none of us should ever become prideful. At some point, the church became very disdainful of the Jewish people. There's a past there. The earliest persecutors of the church were the Jewish people. Their fellow, most of them were Jews themselves that were being persecuted. And, but after a time, the church became predominantly Gentile, less Jewish. And then, over time, they became more influential than the Jewish people. And there was a little bit of payback. Now, is that biblical? No, that's horribly unbiblical. But at some point, the church began to think, well, we're superior. God picked us because we're better. Ignoring the fact that we have a whole chapter in the book of Romans that reminds us not to do that. <laughs> do not boast against the branch because he was lopped off because you've been grafted in as a wild branch. So if you could be grafted into the tree as a wild branch. How much more could the natural branch be put back in? You're no better than they are. 
God, he spares Israel, number one, to remind us that we should never think we're hot stuff. We should never think we're superior to anyone else. If people have the impression of you as a Christian, well, you just think you're the only one who does things right, you might want to re-examine your heart. People shouldn't have that opinion of us. We should be transparent with our own failures and certainly with our own asking for forgiveness. We are no different from anyone who does not know God. We could never deserve the blessing of knowing God and to be known by Him. We certainly did not earn it. It is a gift given to us through faith in Jesus Christ because of God's mercy and grace. We must remember this in the highs and lows of life. God is good. It is His nature. There is nothing we can add to or diminish from all that He is and does. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.